I have a word for you from the Lord tonight, as usual. I love the word of the Lord. There's nothing like a word from God. But before we go to the word of the Lord, I want to say a couple things to you, if that's okay. I love The thing I love about Thursday nights is that the mature people come out Thursday nights. The, the lukewarm and the ungodly stay home. <laughs> so there's, there's certain things that you can't say to the lukewarm and the ungodly that you can say to the Thursday night crowd. And one thing you never tell a lukewarm church member is that the pastor is going to be out of town on a Sunday. Because a lukewarm, heck of fake, backslidden church member will not come to church if the senior pastor is not preaching. They just won't. But there's none of those lukewarm people here tonight. So I can tell you that this weekend my wife and I are going to be out of town celebrating our 12-year anniversary. Amen. So tomorrow morning we're flying down to Los Angeles. And uh, my wife is preaching a women's retreat tomorrow night, Saturday morning, and Saturday night in Los Angeles. And then we're driving down to, uh, down to downtown Los Angeles um, where I might be preaching at a, a church there in, in Los Angeles Sunday afternoon. But uh, then we're checking into the J.W. Marriott. And uh, come on, somebody. And we got three nights there, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. We're probably going to take Alethea to... Uh, 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 Disneyland. Yeah. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some, yeah, there's, there's a nice testimony in that as well, because I was looking into hotels and I was looking at my little, uh, my little money that I had set aside for the trip and, and it wasn't much of nothing. And I said, Lord, how are we going to pay for this? And somebody called me and said, pastor heard you and your wife are going out of town. Can I pay for your hotel? Yes. I said, yes. I'm not one of them humble believers. Oh, no. Oh, no. I I would never. I said, yes. (laughs) Yes. Mm. So I'm very excited. So this young man over here, Pastor Joseph Ruben Sevier, is going to be bringing the word on Sunday morning. And since there's no heck of fake lukewarm believers in the house, I know you'll all be here. Amen. (laughs) Okay, how many know what our logo is? You all understand our logo? What is our logo? It's a flame and the inside is the head, the outside is the arms. It's a worshiper. He's on fire with worship. It's not just a flame. But it's also a man who's worshiping. Our very logo communicates the heart of what we're trying to build. The fellowship of the burning heart. What are we trying to build? The fellowship of the burning heart. Hearts that burn with worship for the Lord. We want to be on fire worshipers. On fire. Now, the uh, theme for the month of of July, August, and September is going to be the fellowship of the burning heart. We're going to be hitting this theme Again and again and again. When we talk about the fellowship of the burning heart, what we're talking about is is not just your heart burning, but our hearts burning together. 
When we're talking about the fellowship of the burning heart, we're talking about something that you experience in the, in the interaction. You've experienced it whenever God has done something in your life or said something to you and you start to share it with another believer and you feel this burning. You just feel this fire on the inside of you. You feel this excitement. It's not just excitement, but it's, there's this overwhelming joy. This overwhelm, it's a sense of the presence of God. And some of us haven't yet learned to identify the presence of God. And some of us still think we haven't experienced the presence of God. But actually, you have experienced the presence of God. You just haven't identified it as the presence of God. You thought you were just happy. But actually, you were experiencing the joy of the Lord. And so tonight, I want to talk about how do we identify the fellowship of the burning heart and how do what stands in the way of it? How do we identify this experience of the fellowship of the burning heart? And, and, and one of the ways I want to begin to define it tonight is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. It's, uh, of course, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You will make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With everlasting pleasures at your right hand. You will make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With everlasting pleasures at your right hand. I like the NKJV, the New King James Version. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And there are two things that this passage of Scripture tells us that we find in God's presence. The first is joy, and the second are pleasures. The first is joy, and the second is pleasure. We find both joy and pleasure in God's presence. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that there's a difference between the two. And that the order of the two is important. Because all of us as human beings, we were created to desire both joy and pleasure. We were created for the experience of joy and pleasure. And if we're living without one, we're living lives that are characterized by a sense of emptiness. When you feel empty inside, you're missing either joy or pleasure or both. Whenever you feel like you're lacking something, what you're lacking is either joy or pleasure or both. But when you are experiencing both joy and pleasure, you feel as though you're lacking nothing. You are experientially coming to grips with the fact that the Lord is your shepherd, and because He's your shepherd, you don't have to want for anything. It's not just a theology anymore, but when joy and pleasure come together, you are experientially coming to grips with the truth. You're living in the grip of the truth that the Lord is your shepherd. And because the Lord is your shepherd, you don't have to want for anything. But one of the greatest things that gets in the way of our experience of both joy and pleasure is that we have a tendency to pursue pleasure before joy. 
And I have a very simple message for you tonight. And in a nutshell, it's this. The pursuit of pleasure is a joyless endeavor. But the pursuit of joy brings both joy and pleasure. I'll say it again. The pursuit of pleasure is a joyless endeavor. But the pursuit of joy brings both joy and pleasure. If you start by chasing pleasure, you'll lose joy. And eventually you'll lose pleasure. You might find it, but you only find it for a season. But if you pursue joy and find it, you get not only joy, but you get joy and pleasure. Now, I, I want to take you, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, that is when he grew up, when he was no longer a child or a baby, he grew up. When he came to maturity, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, the King James Version says. He had pleasure at his fingertips. But when he came of age, that is when he grew up, when he came to maturity, he realized that pleasure did nothing to him or for him because there was no joy in it. And so he thought to himself, how can I get some joy in my life? Pleasure is... And actually, he came to the place where pleasure was not even pleasurable anymore. Because it's the pleasures of sin for a season. And he came to the place where he realized my season is about to come to an end. The season of pleasure. You know, there comes to a place when you persist in the pleasures of sin, where the thing that brought you pleasure no longer brings you pleasure anymore. And you know what you have to do at that point? You either have to come out of sin or go deeper into it. And if you go deeper into it, it brings you pleasure again for a season. But then that season comes to an end and you either have to come out of it or go deeper into it. And what people tend to do is take one step into it and they enjoy it for a season. And then they got to take another step into it and enjoy it for a season. And then they take another step into it. But there's an end of the line where the wages of sin is death. There's an end of the line where that whole, that entire season of pleasure has come to an end and where there's no more pleasure in it. And you find all along the way that not only has pleasure escaped you, but so has joy. And Moses, somewhere in the midst of it, said, I can see that the pleasure of sin, that that season is coming to an end. So what I'm going to do is step out of the realm of pleasure and endure affliction for a season. He knew that he had a choice between temporary pleasure or temporary pain. If I endure temporary pleasure... I'll have eternal lack of joy. I'll experience the eternal loss of joy so that I can enjoy temporary pleasure. Or if I endure temporary affliction with the people of God, I'll have eternal joy. So he said, I'd rather have temporary affliction and eternal joy than to have temporary pleasure and eternal loss of joy. 
So he chose, I'm going to suffer affliction. And when we're talking about suffering affliction, we're talking about the temporary absence of both joy and pleasure. We're talking about a season in which you feel that you're plunged into despair. And the only way out of the pleasure of sin is to choose affliction. And typically the reason you chose pleasure is because you were rejecting affliction. It's because joy was not readily available to you. And instead of waiting for joy and knowing that joy is worth the wait, you said, I'm just going to go over here and choose me some pleasure. Look at this. The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, which is the next chapter, it says that we should uh, forsake every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. We should run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising its shame. There was joy set before him. And he endured the cross that he, is, he experienced affliction for a season. But he was able to endure it because he knew that joy was set before him. He knew that if I just endure this trial for a season, there's joy set before me. See, the lie of the devil when you find yourself in the midst of an affliction is that it's going to last forever. You say, I've been single for so many years, I think I'll never find me a husband. You say, I've been hurting for my body, I've had pain in my body for so long, I think I'll never find healing. Say, I've been looking for a job for so long, I'm never going to have me some money. My husband has been, has, has been so mean to me for so many years, I'll never have a loving husband. My child has been rebellious for so many years, he's never going to hear me. You see, as soon as that hopelessness begins to set into your mind, you no longer see your affliction as a season, but you see it as an eternity. All of a the sudden, there's no, there's no more joy that is set before you. And because there's no more joy that is set before you, you're having a tough time enduring the cross and despising its shame. You can't endure it because there's no joy set before you. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The word of the Lord to you tonight is joy is coming. In the morning. And you need to begin to speak in the midst of your trial. And say yes I'm weeping tonight. But joy is coming in the morning. I don't care what you're going through. I say that joy is coming in the morning. But the problem is that we have been putting joy in the wrong place. Or expecting joy to come from the wrong place. What do I mean by that? We're expecting joy to come from the reversal of our situation, but it does not come from the reversal of our situation. That's happiness. And happiness is seasonal. You cannot get eternal joy from a temporary reversal of a temporal situation. I mean, if I were to buy, I mean, some of you are driving around in an oil burning wreck, right? That's your car. It's a danger to you and to humanity. I mean, it's eating up ozone layer every mile. You know, 
your carbon footprint is humongous, right? Because of this oil burning heat that you've been driving. Okay. Now, if I were to go buy you a brand new Mercedes Benz, would you have joy? I know everything in your soul right now is crying out. Hallelujah. You want to say yes, but you know, it's a trick question. Yes, you would have joy for a season. For a season. Why? Because that new car will become an old car. The first week, you're jumping and shouting like you're on Oprah. And she said, look under your chair. But after a while, Pete, your friends, man, look at your car. And you're like, yeah, that's my car. Yeah, That's your car? Yeah. After a while, it's just a car. It's not even a Mercedes anymore. It's a car. It's a nice car, but it's just a car. I mean, when you first drove it, you used to get goosebumps. You used to almost speak in tongues when you sat behind the steering wheel. And now you're throwing cans in the back seat. It's just a car. It's because the things of this world are passing away. And so transient things can never impart eternal joy. So you're worried about getting a husband. But a husband is for this life. Not the life to come. In the kingdom of God, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. You're worried about healing in your body. But healing in your body is for this life. It's for everybody in the life to come. But you're talking about something temporary that's only going to last as long as this life. Actually, everybody Jesus healed died again. Lazarus, come forth. And however many years later, bye Lazarus. He went back to the same grave. He came out of the grave and Jesus said, you know, don't put nobody else in there because he's going to need that again. It's temporary. But a temporary ever, and that's why all of the miracles of Jesus were a sign of something greater. And what was the sign? It was a sign that the kingdom of God had come. And what is the kingdom of God? It is the very living presence of God. David said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And his right hand is the place of his favor. Your joy is not coming from the reversal of your situation. It is coming from the presence of God. And our great hope is not that our situations will change, but that I'm growing in the presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord is coming. And listen, I hear, and that's why you hear of people in terrible situations who report that they had great joy. You read about Brother Yoon, how he was tortured and in prison, but he talked about how much joy he had there. Why? Because at his darkest moments, the presence of God came with more reality than he had ever experienced the presence of God before. I talked to a man who was in prison in a, third, in a, in a, in a Muslim country for preaching the gospel. He pastored an underground church, and in the middle of one of his services, the police burst down his door, drug him out before his congregation, and threw him in prison. He said his first day in prison, they stood him up. They said, stand up on your feet. And he stood up, and they came and grabbed him, and they took clubs and beat 
beat his feet to a bloody pulp. I mean, they beat his feet until he couldn't stand. They were broken and bleeding and he couldn't stand. And they threw him on the floor and left. He said he was crying out in pain, but suddenly with his very eyes, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing next to him. And he said, the Lord Jesus Christ reached down and touched his feet and his feet were completely healed. He said, in that moment, when the presence of Jesus came, I experienced a greater joy than I had ever experienced in my life. And I would have much rather been right there in that prison with the presence of Jesus than in a palace without the presence of Jesus. He said they came back and they laughed and they mocked. 15 minutes later, they said, stand up on your feet. And to their shock, he jumped up on his feet. Joy is found in the presence of God. But here is the key. When you pursue pleasure first, what you're pursuing is the gratification of your need apart from the presence of God. When you're pursuing pleasure first, you're saying, joy hasn't come, so I'll settle for pleasure. I'll take what I can get. Pleasure, you were created for pleasure. It's not a bad thing. But it can choke out the good things. Where is that scripture? Shut up, Dale. <laughs> Luke eight fourteen <laughs> in the Bible. <laughs> Luke eight fourteen. In Luke eight fourteen, Jesus gives is giving the parable of the sower. And he says, of course, earlier in the chapter, he tells the crowd the, the parable. The, the sower went out and scattered seeds. Some fell on the path and some fell in stony ground and some fell among thorns. In verse 14, he explains the seeds that fell among thorns. He said, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures. They're choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. Isn't that funny? If you're being choked by pleasure, you can't become mature. What's preventing you from being fruitful is that you're being choked by pleasure. Pleasure chokes you. But wait a minute. I thought I was created for pleasure. Yes. But a particular kind of pleasure. A kind of pleasure that's subordinated to joy. A kind of pleasure that is joy's slave. That that joy says, get over here, pleasure. And that pleasure shows up and stays. It's joy's lackey. The kind of pleasure that you were created for is the slave of joy. It comes groveling before the feet of joy. Why? Because joy is the master. It's the joy of the strength, of the joy of the Lord that's your strength, not the pleasure. But this is the kind of pleasure, it's called the pleasures of this life. The pleasure that this world can afford. He's choked out by it. He's choked out by it because he has not learned to subordinate his pleasure to his joy. He has not learned to discern between good pleasure and bad pleasure. He has not learned to look at potential pleasure and judge it based upon its relationship to joy. He hasn't learned to look at potential pleasure and say, there's no joy in that. I'm not doing it. That will rob me of my joy. By the time that's over, I'm just as depressed 
as I could possibly be. By the time that's done, I'm not rejoicing, I'm sorrowing. By the time that's done, I feel broken down, not built up. I'm not doing it. There's no joy in it. There's no joy there. I'm not participating in any kind of pleasure that's going to rob me of my joy, that's going to sap me of my strength. I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. And so he says, he heard the word, but he's being choked by pleasure. Does that sound like a lot of believers or what? Heard the word, but choked by pleasure. Heard the weight, received it with joy. Shouted hallelujah and then went out and pleasure just grabbed you by the throat. And squeezed until you quit kicking. You ever seen in movies? I remember watching a movie when I was a little kid and I saw this person get strangled to death. It was traumatizing. To see somebody get strangled to death, everything in you is crying out, don't stop. Don't stop. I mean, when you're a little kid, that's just like traumatizing. Like, you think it's real. I thought it was real. He killed that person. He killed, I mean, I had dreams about this man being strangled to death. It was terrible. That's what God experiences when he looks down and sees his sons and daughters getting strangled by death. Pleasures of this, just getting choked by the pleasures of this world. Pleasure just gets its death grip around your neck and just squeeze all the joy out of you. I'm going to get all the joy out of you and all the strength out of you. I'm going to choke you so bad that you won't even have breath to praise the Lord. Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I will choke you till you have no breath left. There won't even be a praise left in you. Just choke you out. God's heart is breaking because his sons and daughters are getting choked to death. Verse Timothy 5. He's talking about widows. And he's giving them some good advice. He said, if you're a widow, you should serve the Lord and not pleasure. He says in chapter five, verse six, she who lives in pleasure is dead even while she lives. And he's not just talking about widows. He's talking about people. He says, if you're living for pleasure, you're living a life of death, of living death. You've been choked to death by pleasure. You've got no breath left. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. You know, pleasure should be the slave of joy, but when you put pleasure over joy, pleasure makes you its slave. Now you're serving pleasure instead of serving joy. Mm. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The purpose for which the word of the Lord comes to us is so that his joy 
might remain in us. And so when we meditate on his words day and night, his joy remains in us and our joy is full. We should constantly be pursuing joy, not pleasure. I don't care if I'm missing some pleasure. I'm going to pursue joy. I'm going to pursue the joy of the Lord. Even if it feels like there's some pleasure that I would like to have in my life, but it is not in my life, I'm not going to mourn about it. I'm not going to cry about it. I'm going to pursue joy. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. And I get that joy from the words of Jesus. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. I've spoken these things to you that my joy may remain in you. If you receive my words, my joy will remain in you and your joy will be full. You meditate on his words day and night. John 16, 22, he says, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take away from you. And he was talking about his own resurrection from the dead. He said, yeah, you're sorrowing because I'm telling you I'm about to die, but don't worry. You're going to see me again. And when you do, when you get a glimpse of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, I will impart to you a joy that no one will be able to take away. It's a joy that situations can't take away. It's a joy that trials can't take away. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that, that, that Pharaoh can't take it away and Nebuchadnezzar can't take it away. I'm telling you that Herod and Pontius Pilate can't take it away. I'm telling you that Annas and Caiaphas can't take it away. I'm telling you that nothing in all this world will be able to take away your joy because you're going to see me again. This was the confidence that Jesus was ready to return to the father with in John 17, 13. He says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you hear what he's saying to the father? He says, I've given them all of the words that you gave me. Why? So that my joy might be fulfilled in them. And then in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and come on. Are you with me? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a particular kind of joy. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. And if it's a joy that you got from some other place, but the Holy Spirit, it is not the kingdom of God. But the thing you need to understand is that if you're experiencing that joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, you're experiencing more than happiness. You're experiencing the kingdom of the living God. Sometimes you've got to wait for joy. You've got to wait for it. You've got to believe it's in you. We were talking about bringing out the treasure on Sunday. Joy is the treasure. It lives in your heart. If the word of the Lord lives in your heart, then the joy of the Lord lives in your heart. But you've got to wait for it to come forth. In Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness that fruit you got to wait for it to grow sometimes you just got to wait for that fruit to grow it's already in me i know that joy is in me i'm just asking the lord to bring it out would you just bring out that joy i feel like i'm a joyless person but that's a lie because the holy spirit is in me and he's full of joy and his fruit is joy. And he's going to give me the fruit of the spirit to eat. He's going to give me. Pastor Daniels called me the other day. He said, I was praying for you this morning. And I saw low-hanging fruit. I saw a tree that was filled with low-hanging fruit. You All your life, you felt like you had to climb to get it. But now God is giving you low-hanging fruit. You just reach out and take it. It almost falls into your hand. If you wait for it, it will surely come. You wait for that joy. And that joy, it's coming in the morning. And it's coming out of you. And it's not coming out of you the way you expect it to come. It's coming out of you. It's coming things that you're waiting to come to you. or God wants God's waiting for them to come out of you. You're waiting for it to come to you. You're praying, Lord, send it. And God's saying, no, you bring it forth. It's already on the inside of you. 
you know, God spoke to me tonight, even during worship. And I was, I was saying, God, I looked around this room and you know, I've always had this problem. I've got an issue and I need you to pray for me. My issue is this, no matter how large the crowd is, I'm disappointed. I I mean, I just feel like when I preach, there should be tens of thousands of people there. I'm being real. I just feel like this doesn't make any sense for the last eight and a half years. I've been preaching here thinking this doesn't make a lick of sense to me. There should be, I know the call of God on my life. I know the anointing of God on my life. I know the caliber of what he's put in me. There should be hundreds of thousands of people. But you know what? I stood in Ethiopia before a crowd of 200,000 people thinking, man, there's some empty spaces in the crowd. More people should be here. I don't think I'll ever be satisfied until I preach before the entire world. Like if you could line up the, but if five people were home, I'd be like, where are those five people at? Somebody go home and get them. They're going to miss it. The word of the Lord is too good. And there's, and I was just praying that tonight. I looked around. I was like, God, there should be hundreds of people here there. We should have a traffic jam at the elevator on Thursday nights. And on Sunday mornings, we should have to have 12 services. People trying to get in here. This is not right. And God spoke to me tonight, just back there in the back. He said, Benjamin, you're waiting for the nations to come to you, but the nations are in you. Abraham was the father of many nations, but I didn't send nations to him. I brought nations out of him. I brought nations out of him. He said, you know what, Benjamin, you're pregnant with the nations. Now begin to bring them out, begin to give birth to them. And all of a sudden it changed my whole perspective. You know what? You look around and you might see 80 people in this room. I look around and I see 6 billion people in this room. I see the nations and I know that I'm never preaching to one room, but I know that I'm preaching to the nations. And I know that the sound of my voice is going to go far beyond the people who are in my physical space. And so by faith, I'm bringing out the nations and I'm going to begin to Rejoice in the Lord in advance. But there's so much that you're waiting to come to you that's already in you. God wants you to bring it out. Bring it out. And the joy of the Lord, it's in you. It's in you. Why? Because His presence is in you. And if His presence is in you, in His presence there's fullness of joy. God wants you to experience fullness of joy. God wants you to experience eternal pleasures at His right hand. And when you begin to experience that fullness of joy, you can't help but share it with somebody else. When you experience that fullness of joy, you can't help. And especially when two people who are full of the joy of the Lord get together, I tell you what, that is definition revival. When two people who are full of the joy of the Lord come together, I tell you what, there is nothing to stop that. And that is the fellowship of the broken, the burning heart that we've been talking about. That fellowship of the burning heart is when two people begin to bring out of the storehouse of joy. When they begin to bring it out and they begin to rejoice in the Lord always. When even in the midst of affliction, they learn how to tap into the presence of God. And as they tap into the presence of God, they experience the power of God as it begins to manifest in their lives. And they can't help but share it with one another. You cannot walk in the joy of the Lord, but be unhappy with me. You know what the joy of the Lord does? It causes you to pay it forward. By nat- just naturally. You can't rejoice in the Lord and lament in your brother or sister. <laughs> How much time do we spend meditating on what others have done wrong to us? Compare it to how much time we spend meditating on what God has done right to us. God wants to restore the joy of the Lord. God wants you to have joy and pleasure, but in that order. 
what you find is that joy is worth waiting for. Joy is worth waiting for. And I'll end with this. And I've said it a thousand times, but I'll say it a thousand more times because we need to get this. Sin is never caused first by desire. It's caused by deception. Adam and Eve were not walking around the garden lusting after that tree. They were not walking around the garden seeing that tree. But the fruit looks so good. When Satan came to Eve, he had to trick her into wanting it. Look at this tree. No, 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 no. God said not to eat from it. She knew what the Lord had said. Not only did she know what the Lord had said, her heart and mind had conformed to the command of God. God told us not to eat. I'm not touching that tree. I have no desire to eat from that tree. And the enemy had to convince her that God had left something out. No, 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 no. God's holding out on you. The Lord knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll become like him. He's trying to keep something from you. And the moment she believed that lie, desire. It said, and when she saw the tree, that the fruit was good and that it was good for obtaining knowledge, she ate of it. Desire came out of that deception. Every desire for the pleasure of this world starts with the deception that God left something out. If the enemy can convince you that there's something in your life that God left out, he's number one, robbed you of your joy, and number two, opened the door for you to reach out and take pleasure in the thing that he says you shall not eat of it. But if you walk in the truth, I, I, you know, I talk to people who are struggling. I, I had a long conversation with someone who had battled homosexuality. And had overcome the practice, the activity, but had not overcome the desire. And I said, do you realize that even that desire is a lie? You don't desire it because it's who you are. You desire it because the devil told you that that's who you are and you believed him. And if you could overcome that deception. And discover your true identity in Christ. You'll begin to desire only those things that are in keeping with your sonship in him. Last verse. 2 Thessalonians 2.11. Or 2 Thessalonians 2.12. He talks about those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You hear that? They didn't believe the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness, meaning that if you have pleasure, if you take pleasure in unrighteousness, it's simply a failure to believe the truth. If you believe the truth, there'd be no pleasure in unrighteousness. What God wants is to anoint us with the oil of joy. Okay, I'll give you one more. Psalm 35. Thank you for asking. No, Psalm where is it? 47. I think it's Psalm 47. Anyway, it says there, because you've loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore the Lord your Lord has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. 
For the Lord has exalted you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God gave you joy because you loved righteousness and hated iniquity. What does that mean? Simply means that you believe the truth. And because you believe the truth and didn't walk in deception, there was no room to desire pleasure. The kind of pleasure that does not come from God. God wants us to have joy. But we got to become of age. We got to grow up. We got to grow up. We got to grow up and we got to choose joy. We got to choose joy. Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus that your spirit would fall mightily on this house. God, I speak your blessing over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. And I thank you that these sons and daughters of yours are of the truth, not of the lie. These sons and daughters of yours have been sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are yours. Father, we will not pursue pleasure. We will not pursue pleasure. We will pursue your joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So, Father, tonight I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd open up each and every heart and you would insert your word. Insert your word. Set it deep within our hearts. Set it deep within our hearts like a seed. And let it bear fruit. Jesus' name. God, I thank you that the word of the Lord always hits its mark. It doesn't miss. It doesn't miss. Always hits its mark. So I speak blessing. I speak blessing. I speak blessing. I speak encouragement. I speak strength, peace. Great joy. Great joy. Great joy. Great joy. Some of you feel that the enemy has already robbed you of your joy. I'm telling you, your joy is being restored tonight. Your joy is being restored tonight. Your joy is being restored as you're being brought into the truth. It's the truth of God that strips you of condemnation and shame, first of all. The truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and of death. The truth of God that you have been redeemed, not by perishable things such as silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. The truth that you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. And the truth that his divine power has given you all that you need for life and godliness. Tonight I exalt you. I lift you up into the place of truth. And I release the joy of the Lord in your heart and mind. You're going to walk in joy tonight. You're not going to walk in fear. You're going to walk in joy. You're not going to live with a sense of lack or loss. You're going to live in the fullness of joy. You're going to live knowing that everything you need is already in you. You're bringing it out. You're bringing it out. You're bringing it out. And I call you into the fellowship of the burning heart. Open up your heart and let it begin to burn. I call you into that fellowship of the burning heart. Open up your heart. Let it begin to burn. 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 Begin to ask the Lord, God, set my soul on fire. Set my heart on fire. Come on. Open your mouth right now. Just begin to talk to him. 
Lord, burn up, burn up anything that is in pursuit of pleasure and not in pursuit of you. Come on, talk to him. Open your mouth right now. Jesus, do it right now. Do it right now. Do it right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The fellowship of the burning heart. God, build that fellowship among us. Build it, build it. Jesus, walk with us on the road. Let our hearts burn within us as you open up the scriptures to us. Let our hearts begin to burn within us. Let it begin to burn. Lord, even as your word goes forth, I pray that we would experience that fellowship of the burning heart. God, I long to feel the hearts of the people burning with my heart as I preach the word of the Lord. So often I come up to this pulpit and I preach the word of the Lord and my heart is burning, but it just doesn't feel like anybody else's heart is burning. But God, I pray that you would just cause that fellowship of the burning heart to happen even as I preach the word of the Lord. And I pray that the people would experience it with one another, God, as we walk the halls and walk the streets, as we run into one another, that we would begin to share the things of God and that our hearts would burn within us, God. I pray that the joy of the Lord would burn within us, God. I pray that you would do it by the power of your spirit. I pray that our hearts would begin to cry out for it, God. That our hearts would begin to reach for it, God. That our minds would begin to turn toward it, God. I pray you would do it. And I believe you to do it. God, I believe you to remove anything from us that is not in keeping with the joy of the Lord. And anything from us that would war against the burning of our hearts. We long for you today, God. We long for you today, God. We give you all of the praise and glory. In Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.